So we are starting the seminar today, the webinar today. I would like to, of course, greet everyone. Uh, good afternoon and good morning to everyone who has joined us for this dialogue today from India and abroad. On behalf of the India Initiative on Climate Risks and Sustainable Finance, which is anchored by Climate Bonds Initiative with its partners ODI and Optus ESG, I welcome our esteemed speakers from the Ministry of Finance, Government of India, the British High Commission in India, leading public and private sector banks and policy experts who will weigh in on the state of preparedness and efforts required and those underway already within the financial sector on navigating the imminent transition in the backdrop of global summits, namely the G20 under the Indian presidency and the COP28. Before we open the discussion today, some house rules and information. We are live streaming this session and the recorded video will be on YouTube channels of Climate Bonds and ODI. Please share your questions in the Q&A box and we will take it up at the end of our panel discussion. Now, I would like to take the opportunity to set the context a little further before inviting Ms. Geetu Joshi, uh, who is the Economic Advisor, Ministry of Finance, her opening remarks, and she led the Sustainable Finance Working Group for G20 Indian Presidency. I will then hand it over to my colleague, Sarojit Ayer from Optus ESG, who will moderate the discussion. You will then hear the closing remarks from Sarah Taylor, Minister Councillor, British High Commission in India, and then we will come to a close of the discussion. To open the conversation, I think it's good to get an idea of a few high-level trends and developments which will increasingly inform domestic and international dialogues, negotiations and action on sustainable finance. So when I was looking at today's discussion, I thought that there are five big trends that one should keep in mind against the backdrop of which um, our further discussion will happen today. One is that there is an onward march of regulation and policy for financing sustainable transition globally and in India. That this is irreversible is a fact. Directing finance at scale will determine the pace of transition. And planning ahead its different dimensions will determine how orderly this transition will be. Both these aspects are important. The pace and the orderliness of sustainable or green transition, and I'm using green in a broad sense of the term. Second trend is that there is the twofold focus. There is definitely a focus from the regulation side on risk management by financial institutions. Credible transition plans are coming into vogue. Institutional investors are asking for that, are asking for that, and banking institutions and regulators are also beginning to talk about a credible and a systematic transition plan, which can help readjust their portfolios towards sustainability and low-risk investments. It is also backed by a system of disclosures. As we speak, there are different um, uh, disclosure frameworks uh, which have come about, in fact, in the last year, including international disclosure frameworks like IISB, and then there are national domestic jurisdictional disclosures. Where would it lead to in terms of 
more interoperability, feasibility of their usability uh, is something that I think every jurisdiction is taking into account. Then there is a second focus, which is a sharpened focus on mobilizing finance for climate action by attracting resources, involving multilateral development banks, and encouraging a lot of private investment in green and low carbon technologies. The third trend is actually about going beyond renewable energy alone. Now, every year, a whopping $20 trillion gets invested in hard to abate sectors. Hard to abate sectors are like steel, cement, chemical, et cetera, which are major contributors to emissions. But only a fraction of it, a mere hundred, a mere 250 billion is actually directed towards the transition efforts that are required to be taken for lowering emissions in these hard to abate sectors. The fourth big trend is that just transition has become an imperative. This is now the consensus. Just transition not only safeguards sustainable development, but it is also important because without it, transition will be inherently fragile. For a developing country like India, it is even more important to equally give attention to not only the decarbonization efforts, but to the efforts on resilience, on job creation, on consumer, uh, on affordability of goods and services, so that no one is actually adversely affected as a result of this green transition. And the fifth thing which I always say is that everyone is learning together. Regulators are putting systems in place. Real economy actors are looking at uh, uh, making changes in their uh, production processes. Financial institutions are beginning to grapple with a whole lot of new requirements, which are actually forward-looking. In, in that sense, they are different from what they have been doing till now in terms of ESG. So all of this is has basically has the characteristic of simultaneity of developments, trends, requirements, and that makes the job a little bit harder than we would expect it to be. So everybody is learning together, everybody is doing together, doing, doing a lot of things together. When it comes to the, these are trends which are universal. They are happening globally and they're also happening within countries. Uh, I would just now touch upon uh, a couple of important feedback uh, points that we keep on getting from the market when it comes to the Indian ecosystem, Indian financial ecosystem, and as well as you know the, the companies which are trying to make shifts in their investments, in their capital expenditure towards sustainable and climate responsive projects. One is that they all think that we need a cohesive and overarching sustainable finance roadmap for India. And efforts in this direction had been taken by the Ministry of Finance in the pre-G20 year. And hopefully they will pick up again as we now have more attention that we can give to the domestic uh, efforts which are already which have already which are already underway. The second uh, requirement and the need that is always articulated is prioritization of capacity enhancement. Because varying level, levels of awareness and capacity within the banking sector 
uh, regarding ESG, sustainability, and climate-related issues exists. And their understanding of the materiality of those aspects for their operations is also at different stages of maturity. The third thing that we keep on hearing is about building data comparability. Quality and quantity of data reported. Uh, there are persistent challenges with regard to that in terms of quality, in terms of harmonization, in terms of assurance systems, particularly in the context of ESG and climate considerations. The fourth thing that we hear roundtable after roundtable, conference after conference, is to prioritize a system of classification of definitions, what we otherwise call taxonomy. This is important for regular, regulatory clarity to distinguish among different types of sustainable and transition initiatives. The fifth thing, which I think there is now work happening uh, as, as we speak in India, it is about delineating and putting out transition pathways, sector transition pathways, and enabling policies to de-risk de investments uh, as we move toward net zero target for India across economy in different sectors. So when I look at our discussion today, a couple of questions come to my mind. You know, what are the practical measures that are required for accelerated action to shift lending to low carbon activities? What is the role of financial sector and what are individual financial entities doing in this regard? And what opportunities lie ahead for transition finance financial entities for their own resource mobilization through capital markets? Of course, there are many interrelated questions that we will uh, delve into uh, when we get into the panel discussion. But before we do that, I will invite now Ms. Geetu Joshi, Economic Advisor, Ministry of Finance, who led the Sustainable Finance Working Group for G20, to give her opening remarks on how to align and accelerate ambition, given that two major summits, global summits, also have domestic implications. So over to you, Ms. Joshi. Thank you so much. Thank you, Neha. Uh, a very good morning and good evening to all. Uh, and thank you for giving me an opportunity to interact with you all today. It is my pleasure to discuss a critical component of our nation's financial evolution, the integration of sustainable finance into the core of our economic systems. We stand at a juncture where India's financial sector is increasingly recognizing the necessity of addressing low carbon transition risks. Further, we are meeting at a time when the global economy is confronted with multiple challenges, such as rising interest rates, unprecedented levels of debt, high inflation, and geopolitical tension. Addressing these challenges necessitates collaborative efforts along with innovative and inclusive solutions which propel sustainable development. Platforms such as the G20 and COP play a pivotal role in facilitating dialogues and arriving at collective solutions by bringing together all the stakeholders. Recently concluded India's G20 presidency and COP28 addressed a multitude of globally significant issues. To begin with, I would like to highlight a few key outcomes of India's G20 presidency. India steered what can be called the global south imperative when it comes to sustainable finance. The Green Development Pact, 
provides pathways for countries in their journey towards achieving the energy, climate, environment, and disaster resilience-related objectives. G20 leaders also called for bigger, better, and more effective multilateral development bans, which will enable increased finance for climate and other global public goods. The G20 Sustainable Finance Working Group developed recommendations for mobilizing climate finance by sealing up blended finance instruments and risk-sharing facilities, acknowledging that developing economies will need affordable and easily accessible finance in much greater volumes and at much greater speed. Many of these proposals were also echoed at the COP28, including the need to have new collective quantified goals, which must be guided by the needs and requirements of the developing countries. While significant strides have been achieved, there is still much work ahead of us. Building upon the outcomes of India's G20 presidency on mechanisms to mobilize finance for climate action, the Brazilian G20 presidency has taken up optimizing access to international environment and climate funds, such as the GCF, the Global Environment Facility, Climate Investment Funds, and the Adaptation Fund as one of the key priority areas. In addition, the Brazilian presidency will also focus on the challenges and the benefits of sustainability reporting standards, particularly for SMEs and the EMDEs. For India's financial sector to thrive in this new landscape resulting from several recent developments, there are two critical areas of focus. The first is fostering a robust regulatory environment where financial institutions are not only compliant, but also proactive in their approach towards sustainable finance. The second is enhancing the capabilities within our financial institutions to comprehend and integrate climate risks into their decision-making processes. This necessitates a blend of technical assistance and capacity building, underscored by a culture of continuous learning and adaptation. Now, coming to the first area, that is robust regulatory environment, my colleagues from the banking industry would agree that in the past few years, RBI and SEBI have come up with several regulations and frameworks which will help in aligning the financial flows with the sustainability objectives. Some of these initiatives include sovereign green bonds framework, social stock exchange, regulatory guidelines for thematic green bonds, regulatory framework for issuance of green debt securities, the BRSR framework for sustainability disclosures, and, and RBI's regulatory guidelines on climate risk and sustainable finance. I'm sure as we go forward, we will see many more developments in the regulatory framework in the future. Coming to the second area on the capacity building aspect, which is the topic of discussion today, I would like to spend the next few minutes on the G20 Sustainable Finance Technical Assistance Action Plan, which in short I'll refer to as TAP, and which was developed during our presidency to cater to the unique sustainable finance needs of developing countries. The TAP was endorsed by the G20 leaders and is strategically positioned to address the capacity building and technical assistance requirements of financial market participants.
As a global platform convened by the UNDP, TAP promises to be a nexus of knowledge and resources. It aims to synchronize efforts among core financial stakeholders, such as the MDBs, public development banks, think tanks, private sector entities, and capacity building providers. This collaboration will enable a tailored approach to capacity building, ensuring that technical assistance is both relevant and effective. The TAP's role in this transition is multifaceted. It is set to provide a framework for peer learning, facilitate interoperability with global best practices, and offers targeted technical assistance on areas such as risk analysis, transition planning, etc. This initiative will empower bankers and other financial sector experts in India with the necessary skills to navigate green and resilient investments. More so, it will provide access to critical information and services to facilitate these investments, thereby aligning our financial sector with the global trajectory towards sustainability. As we embark on this path to a low carbon economy, it's imperative to understand that our financial sector is a key player in this transformation. The TAP with its comprehensive approach to capacity building and technical assistance will be instrumental in this journey. It offers an opportunity for our financial institutions to not only mitigate the risks associated with climate change, but also to harness the immense opportunities it presents for sustainable development. Given the urgent need of capacity building to address transition risks, the India Initiative on Climate Risks and Sustainable Finance by Climate Bonds and other partners is a welcome intervention which, would, which could align its operations with the ambitions of G20 leaders as reflected in the Technical Assistance Action Plan. In closing, I would like to emphasize the significance of this moment. The transition to sustainable finance is not just an environmental imperative, but also an economic opportunity. With the right framework, guidance, and collaborative, collaborative efforts under initiatives like the TAP, India's financial sector is well positioned to lead this transition, contributing significantly to global efforts in combating climate change and promoting sustainable development. Thank you for your attention, and I look forward to our collective progress in this crucial endeavor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Geeta. Thank you so much for that comprehensive and almost a call to action for the ecosystem players, including market participants, regulators, policymakers. So definitely what you're saying uh, would mean that there is more collaboration, that there is more uh, cooperation amongst different stakeholders, and there is more listening and conversation across regulatory policy space and market participants. And with that, I think it is time to hear from the practitioners themselves of what they are doing and what requires to be done in a much more concrete and systematic manner. So over to you, Saurajit. Thank you, Neha. And uh, yes, indeed, a very important call for action from uh, Ms. Joshi in her keynote address. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Um, very warm welcome to all the panelists and participants once again. My name is Sauraji Tayyar. I'm Vice President at Octa CSG. It's a global advisory services firm that is engaged in sustainable finance and climate strategy projects. 
for financial institutions across emerging economies. Now, the UK, UK is partnering for Accelerated Climate Transition Program or the UK Pact Program, which along with the India Initiative on Sustainable Finance and Climate Risks, um, uh, you know, le uh, led by the Consortium of Climate Bonds, OCTA-CSG and ODI are hosting this particular virtual webinar today. So the UK Pact program is a flagship program gener generously funded by the UK government to enable low carbon transition in emerging economies and uh, really aims to strengthen the understanding and adoption integration of climate risks within the Indian banking sector as part of the India program specifically. Um, so we'll be uh, talking on this uh, particular uh, panel discussion on uh, focusing on building capacities uh, towards managing climate risks and opportunities more effectively within the Indian banking space, what is required uh, and, and you know what really the bankers are doing and facing and what they really need going forward. Now, as part of the broader program under this UK Pact India uh, uh, pro uh, project, the consortium of these three institutions was awarded a second round of funding, in fact, in 2023-24, building on the success of the first round of funding uh, back in 21. So this particular program now really includes two main work streams, design and delivery of, of uh, two-day scale enhancement uh, modules individually for large Indian banks to identify, measure, manage climate risks and transition planning. And uh, so far, these sessions have been conducted with uh, as much as 11 large Indian banks, covering as many as 450 officers from across risk, credit, banking, and product teams. And this round also involves drafting research-based knowledge reports on you know, quantifying the financial risks in associated with transition in the power sector, with climate-related investment needs in certain sectors, with the aim to support the supervisor, the uh, RBI, in introducing climate uh, responsive guidelines and disclosure. And of course, all of, all of this is being supported by the curation of bilateral meetings, thought leadership articles, and virtuals, uh, virtual uh, seminars like uh, today's session. So coming to today's session, uh, once again, uh, thanks again to our keynote speaker, Ms. Geetu Joshi. And I would now like to extend a warm welcome to our panelist speakers, Ms. JC Paul. She's the Chief General Manager, ESG and Climate Finance, State Bank of India. Welcome, ma'am. Mr. Manish Kumar, he's the SG at uh, Manish Kumar. He's the head of ESG at ICICI Bank. Welcome, sir. Uh, Mr. Ajit Kumar, he's the head of Market Risk and ESG at Federal Bank. Welcome, Ajit. We should also be joined soon with Professor Ulrich. Oh, uh, Ulrich has joined. Uh, so, uh, welcome, Ulrich. Uh, he's the professor of economics at the uh, and the director of the Center for Sustainable Finance at SOAS at the University of London. Now, this particular panel discussion will really focus on the climate risks and opportunities facing the financial sector in a very large um, high growth emerging market like India, with a particular emphasis on the ways and means to build capacity uh, within the banks to identify, measure, manage, and mitigate climate-related financial risks and transition planning. That's really the broader objective. Um, but at the same time, before moving into the questions with the panelists, very quickly to set a bit of context and build on what our previous speakers have already said, uh, India is facing a very uh, tricky situation. You know, if you actually look at the data, India's emissions are now uh, today three times higher than the pre-economic reforms period, while GDP is 10 times higher. Now, 
at a cursory glance that actually indicates that the GHG to GDP intensity has actually come down. Today it is about one is to one. But the fact remains, it is still very, very high for comfort. And especially considering that the country is on a very high uh, you know, uh, economic growth trajectory in the coming years. So bringing down this intensity to the G20 average of 0.4 to 1 would really require moving the country's real economy to more sustainable business model strategies, decoupling the emissions-based economic model, and the role of banks to finance that entire transition. And that is really what makes today's topic such a critical one. The good news is that India is proving capable. We've seen that in the renewable sector. We've seen that in some other uh, spaces as well. But that being said, and a lot of uh, work has happened as part of the G20 and the, uh, the, the COP uh, uh, and all the conversations that India has been having there. I'll not go into the details, but essentially we are on the track. But at the same time, a lot more needs to be done. Now, um, we have the we have a very relevant set of stakeholders here as part of this panel discussion. Uh, both from the uh, practitioner side and also from the academia research side, I would request each panelist to please restrict their response to five minutes per answer so that we stay within the time. And I will also request members of the audience to put any questions they may have in the chat box in advance, and we will try to take them towards the end of this session on a first come first of basis. So moving to the panel discussion now, uh, let me start with you, uh, Professor Ulrich, uh, more for an outside-in perspective. So given the amount of you know, research work you've been doing in this space, you have seen a lot of different countries, uh, di uh, perspectives from different countries, including some in Asia, that have very, very similar socioeconomic profiles to India. Uh, how they are approaching that entire process to model and measure climate risk in their respective sectors. So given this entire uh, you know, perspective that you've gained, in your view, what would you really suggest to Indian financial institutions and banks on what would be the most ideal or best method or approach they should be using to manage climate risk? Uh, over to you, Professor Wilder. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and, and thanks a lot for, for having me. Great to, to be with you. Um, well, I don't think there's like just one simple uh, thing to do. I mean, uh, it's really a a broad set of measures. First of all, um, very clearly, each and every financial institution needs to build up capacity uh, to, mm -hmm. to understand the fu fundamental challenges um, and, and start um, kind of at, at a higher level to analyze what are potential, uh, potentially material risks. You know, what, what, what are the different exposures in the balance sheet um, and to um, uh, so to, to also think strategically about um, uh, the approach to lending, to investment, and so on. And um, so, of course, what uh, uh, what there needs to happen is to, to systematically integrate um, climate risk analysis into, into the broader risk management frameworks. And uh, here now, uh, climate stress testing has become uh, a focal point. And of course, the, the Reserve Bank of India uh, has been working very intensively on that, and um, uh, and here I think it's it's important that on the one hand we have individual financial institutions uh, starting to develop their own ideas and 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 think about how to 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 uh, identify risks and vulnerabilities, but uh, we 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 do need um, uh, the central bank the supervisors. Uh, to provide some firm guidance on how to go about it, yeah, and and I mean this is exactly 
uh, what the Reserve Bank is is doing right now. Um, but uh, as I said, you know, to 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 effectively um, run stress tests, for example, um, you need to to build up expertise. You need to have staff um, that really um, uh, learn about uh, the details. And, and and of course, we're talking about both physical and transition risk uh, that 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 matter. And um, so, um, uh, I think having having a, a process where, on the one hand, um, uh, you know the supervisors um, demand from institutions to to kind of ramp up their own capacities, to to think about their own strategies, is one important element. But at the same time, we do need uh, also some firm guidance from from the central regulator. Great. Thank you, Paul um, Stecken. Uh, let me now go to Ms. JC Paul, because for an inside out view from our practitioners, because at the end of the day, India has its own nuances and uh, you know a lot of challenges, particular to the Indian market as well, it's a large economy. So what has been some of your experiences on you know the challenges that Indian banks are currently facing to take on this task, Ms. Paul? Especially given that, you know, all these broader NDCs, net zero goals are giving some direction to the journey ahead. So how are you navigating these challenges at your bank? And, you know, how could the international community support Indian banks towards this context? Uh, over to you, Ms. Paul. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. And thank you. Uh, I'm grateful to the organizers for this opportunity to speak on this very relevant webinar. So coming to your question, Shavrajit, uh, see, yes. India is committed to an NDC 2070. And we are awaiting the roadmap pathways, which are the sectors, government policies with regard to how we are going to, as a country, we are going to reach that net zero by 2070 with sectors to focus, etc. So uh, when we talk about net zero, we are actually looking at what is it that really contributed to the climate changes and how do we really address those the reasons what contributed to the climate changes and how do we really bring down the carbon emissions or DHT emissions how do we reduce the carbon emissions and reach that net zero path that is one side of one aspect of climate change and when we talk about talk about climate risk we are talking about the other side of climate change that is what are the risks that is caused to enterprises businesses as a consequence of climate change. So these are two related aspects, but different aspects, which need different solutions. Mm -hmm. So as rightly pointed out by earlier speakers, in the Indian banking system, as we, as we all of us know, we started taking climate change, climate risk seriously, maybe in the recent past. So the Largest challenge, according to me, will be capacity building. Banks as of now, Indian banks as of now, in my view, do not have the capabilities, expertise, domain expertise, skill sets, etc., to address this problem. Either side, the net zero side, that is reducing carbon emission. Of course, banks on their own, their operations, carbon emission may not be, may be insignificant. But what is significant is the financed emissions the emissions from their finance portfolio. So to address that problem on one side, 
the other side is what is the climate risk posed by the finance portfolio portfolio risk whether it is physical risk or transition risk we haven't reached a stage we have the capabilities to measure that how to go about it so biggest challenge according to me capacity building so within sbi we have taken certain initiatives one is that we have put in a dedicated team to take care of all the areas associated with climate esg climate change climate risk climate finance etc but again this team also it's not that this team having put in place a focus team that that is only a beginning so we need yeah. to ensure that this team gains the required capabilities over a period of time so for that uh, in that direction what we are doing is that we have been collaborating with uh, entities in the field climate experts uh, financial experts modeling experts in the field like okay you, uh, you would remember you also had taken a session for our people some 10 hour session so we are collaborating with many entities in the field for knowledge sharing updating people on what is happening in the space what is the requirement how to go about etc that is one thing second thing as part of again as part of capacity building we have also done see we have made, we have made certain we are making rather certain courses mandatory for every official in the bank it's a very basic level course which creates awareness okay. again like again okay targeted trainings wherein like we have a very structured training training system training institutions wherein every official has to undergo certain trainings every year related to this so what we are mandated now is that any training for more than 3 days period should necessarily have a session on esg and climate change and climate risk etc sure. that is another thing we have done and we have made certain courses like sustainability and climate risk etc which can be done by the employees on their own so that is so internal capacity building so we have started this way again okay to build up the team we are also looking at recruiting from the market domain experts climate scientists from the market we actually did one round of one round of interviews etc for this but the experience is that talent pool in the market also very difficult to get so i think india as a country maybe we have to look at the entire ecosystem has to develop and now that this regulatory regulatory compulsions policy compulsions those are in place on the bank and the ecosystem i think the ecosystem will be developing as somebody pointed out all of us are at different maturities of learning so i think going forward uh the ecosystem should develop we should have uh, uh professionals with competencies who should be able to help out the banks in building capacity so that is one major challenge second challenge will be whether it is net zero or climate risk second challenge will be availability of relevant data time relevant data integrity of data availability timely timely availability of data i i look at it as a major challenge because uh, see most of the corporates i think they would they wouldn't have identified the risk drivers affecting their specific activities or or sectors neither would they have put in place mechanism to collect data relevant for them to assess climate risk so that will be another major challenge sure. availability of data then for indian banks again 
challenges will be what are the tools to be deployed what are the what are the models that will be most suitable for the banks to assess their climate risk so these are the major challenges i see so sure. uh, all these bring me back to my first point capacity building which will take time so we are counting on or, or collaborate, collaborating with entities which are active in this field to help us measure uh, finance emissions this side climate is physical risk or transition risk which will be a base for us to design our strategies to move forward in the space of sure. say transition in the space of uh, net zero once we have our finance emission numbers sector wise we would know where we are and where to focus to move forward but again we have to align ourselves with the government policies which we are awaiting that is india's roadmap to net zero to 2070 and on the other side okay once we measure our physical risk uh, transition risk assessor we would know actually what to focus how to engage with the clients and again the opportunity that presents to us the transition finance what are the capex requirements for corporates or companies to uh, make for a transition to a lower carbon processes or technology shifts in technologies deployed etc that gives an opportunity also for us so once we have these numbers in place we are working on it once these are in place we will be in a better position to design our strategies of course with external help at the time being thank you thank you uh, thank you ms paul in fact uh, i'm going back to a point you raised at the initial so the way i'm reading it is that it's two parts so one is translating the net zero or the ndc goals into what it really means for business so if we have to reduce emissions from x to y what does it translate for the business and hence the bank that is one part of the entire capacity piece the other piece is that once we know what we have to do okay we have to reduce it from x to y then what does it mean for our internal processes systems and processes what are the changes we need to do um manish uh, miss paul mentioned ecosystems capacity data as some of the major challenges i'll come to you i'll pose the same question to you that from your perspective what are some of the challenges that you think banks are facing in this entire process to manage climate risk yeah uh, thanks shurajit and thanks uh, to the organizers for having me on the panel i'll take a step back of course you know whatever uh, uh, jc mentioned are relevant i'll just take a step back i think everything starts from the tone from the top so you know while we might work uh, in the right direction to build capacities to really create awareness is it really translating into the right tone at the top and is it really action oriented i think the focus now has to shift more towards action what neha also alluded to and you know in fact i will uh, refer to a, a report which was put out uh, by the rbi itself it was the report on currency and finance i think it was published in uh, may 2023 and their rbi has specifically noted that despite awareness that potential impact of climate risks on financial health of entities so everybody is aware that there is a potential impact mitigation plans are only getting discussed it's all only in the discussion phase now this has to now translate into an action again rbi has indicated time and again please use proxy data and this is not only by the rbi even regulators worldwide they are saying why don't you start using proxy data why don't you start using a proportionate approach 
why should we really wait for you know the regulators to take the first step because ultimately we are all actors in this entire uh, journey we will also have to partake any of the risks that uh, could potentially impact our businesses uh, themselves so i think one important aspect now is that tone from the top has to start looking at action the second part uh, you know is the reporting framework again what uh, neha mentioned about now there has to evolve a standardized reporting framework and the reason i'm mm. saying is that is where the data becomes important so while you know we might be searching for data or while you know some corporates or entities may have data available how do they really present the data is also very important so that whatever information is being right now put out by the companies i feel there is a misalignment of the disclosure versus the decision usefulness of that information now that uh, you know bridge has to gap so that is the big big challenge which i would say indian banks are facing to really assess the climate risks which can potentially impact portfolio and then we are talking about uh, you know finance yeah. emissions so i would like to put the challenge this way Absolutely, I uh, I take your point. In fact, you raised two fantastic points. I'll take the second one before that. You know, uh, ultimately, or rather, the first one. Sorry, uh, ultimately, it's the push from the top. So, in fact, I'll come back to you because I'm I'm also, and I'm sure all our all our pan other panelists and participants are also curious to know what will it take to get that push from the top. So, what will it take to get the push so that we start looking at identifying proxy data points. and set the ball rolling instead of just waiting for regulations to happen because regulators are also learning and i mean this is a new topic for everybody so i will be very interested to come back to you on that point but let me first go to ajit we've kept you waiting for quite some time sorry for that but uh, ajit uh, you you are leading esg climate at a mid sized indian bank and the reason i mentioned that specifically is because Uh, a lot of mid-sized banks in the Indian ecosystem are actually proving more agile and adaptable when it comes to all these emerging issues, uh, integrating these emerging issues. So your bank has also undertaken some initiatives. I understand. Um, could you just share, you know, how you went about this process at your institution, how you navigated some of the issues, challenges, headwinds that you know you faced in the process? Uh, over to you. Yeah. So uh, am I audible? Yeah. So first yeah. of all, thank you, Sarojit and Aurya, for giving me giving me this opportunity to uh, take part as a panel panelist in this esteemed uh, webinar. So uh, in this regard, I uh, first of all fully endorse the views of uh, Manish because we are doing a lot of things even before this, a lot of things in a lot of manner. But when we look at a climate point or climate perspective, things have to get the shape. So the starting point is a strong endorsement. from the top and the board so that is where we started with in this journey and climate risk actually forms part of our enterprise risk appetite and this helped in climate related discussions or climate risk discussions in the within the ceso and the support from the board was tremendous in all these regards we also mapped our credit portfolio to different climate vulnerabilities based on geographies and sectoral energy dependencies basically geographies in the physical sector uh, physical risk and uh, based on sectoral energy dependencies in the transitions and this data is used to assess potential credit risk through sensitivity analysis and the outcome is included in our icap and trust, trust testing process we formulated 
a dedicated ESG and ENS division, which has representatives from across the verticals. We also have an ENS committee, which is headed by our MD and CEO, and which looks into the climate-related risk and ESG-related matters. And this committee meets at least once in a quarter regularly and takes stock of what of things are happening in the climate-related areas or the risk-related areas, ESG-related areas in our bank. Parallelly, we have also put in place a board-approved ESMS policy where all the credit proposals are reviewed against the ENDS or the environmental and social impacts that the projects can create. And as per the ESMS policy, we need to do ESD due, uh, ES due diligence, ENDS due diligence, and also risk uh, categorize it into uh, high, medium, and low, uh, and do the ESDD. For that, actually, we are following the IFC's performance standards. And in this regard, actually, capacity building is, again, an important thing. We have even recruited people from the market for doing who are specific, uh, specifically doing this ENDS due diligence in other organizations. Now they are a part of us. All these things will be helping. And based on this ESDD, we need to, again, give them ESAPs, which will, again, help in mitigating the climate-related or environment and social-related risk. Uh, which is uh, created by those portfolios. And our strategic relationship, IFC, has also helped a lot in this regard in institutionalizing the ESMS process, including the capacity building program. The most tough call taken by the bank was on the decision to phase out our entire call exposure by 2030, even when we know that there are business opportunities beyond the state, far beyond the state. And we have to say no to otherwise highly creditworthy names. But the board and the management was convinced that in our journey to become the most advanced bank, these calls need to be taken uh, in the best interest of the higher society or the largest society and the planet. We also have some exclusion list, uh, list, list activities wherein we cannot uh, fund. Uh, some of those are like the uh, polluting, critically polluting sectors like the oil and gas exploration, again, aligning to the beginning of the end of fossil fuel era. So in short, uh, by implementing all these, we are trying to make our credit portfolio future ready and would be able to stay ahead of the curve. And again, I'm endorsing uh, Mr. Manish actually, the tone, and the tone at the top and the awareness are the key to the success of climate journey in any bank as of now. That is, Ajit, let me put you in a tricky spot right now for one minute at least and ask yep. you that question, which I was curious from Manish's answer as well. And in fact, in certain things, Mr. Paul also alluded to that. You started your answer saying that the the board and this is what it it did, this is what it did, etc. The question really is, what made them do it? What was the trigger that you made your board give that instruction or guidance from the top? So uh, uh, one minute to you, uh, Ajit, if you want to add some... Yeah, to be clear, actually, before the onset of COVID, uh, I think in 2019, we presented a, uh, a presentation to the board on ESG and climate-related risk, wherein actually yeah. that time we, we are getting the news, like we know about the Global Economic Forum, even yesterday, last week, the last day also, they have released the uh, global risk reports. And even if you see the next sure, 10 years, sure. if you see the first four is again on climate and in the first 10, five are related to climate. And by 2015, most of the cities won't be uh, there, like they would be submerged under the water. So that was the beginning of all these things wherein we have presented this thing to the board and the senior management. And from there only we have 
been st- thinking about that then the onset of covid was there then things were muted but covid has again prompted many things and we have also from our own experience uh, the flood that happened in 2018 that was a once in 100 year flood which happened in our own uh, kerala sure, sure. we yeah, know yeah. what all things happen and now these things are getting repeated and every now and then we are whenever a monsoon is coming we are afraid what will happen next so these are the triggers uh, which might have prompted So, Manishan, Jesse, uh, we've got some clues from federal banks' experience on what were the triggers for the push from the top. Uh, it's it's a journey um, in any case, and uh, I mean, whether it is an India initiative, the UK PAC uh, program, all of us are there to help the, the, the practitioners in this particular journey. Let me come back to, uh, we heard in the previous round all the Indian banking practitioners speaking about certain challenges that they are facing in the process. Data seems to be uh, quite an important uh, gap that banks are facing that is limiting or inhibiting them from implementing practical action. So this is your studies globally. How do you find large banks you know, across the world, especially in emerging markets, addressing this gap around climate data, climate information? Uh, over to you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, uh, data is indeed uh, a critical issue, and and it's it's a challenge everywhere. So, um, and and so we've been having these discussions about oh, we don't have the right data, the right granularity, and so on. Also, in in advanced uh, economies, but um, uh, as as one colleague mentioned before, uh, you know, one has to start somewhere. So even if one does not have the perfect data, one has to to start working with. Uh, proxies and so on, and and there are so there are ways to work around, and uh, it really is a process. So um, we need to think, okay, what 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 are the the data that we would like to use, and and then how can we get there? And uh, there's certainly a very important role also for for regulators, supervisors, in uh, working with the industry on on uh, how to make the relevant data available. And so there's one important issue, of course, around disclosures. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, there often is a bit of a reluctance, you know, kind of uh, banks feel, feel bad uh, having to ask all kinds of additional information from their clients. But um, in turn, uh, you know, real economy firms also, they need to do... Uh, transition risk analysis, they need to to do transition planning as well. So they themselves, as part of, you know, prudent management, will have to to work on on, on generating data that the financial sector needs. So it, it's really the whole ecosystem. And um, uh, so there, it's very important that we have uh, from, from governments and, and financial supervisors really uh, guidance uh, on what kind of data uh, should be generated, and and here I think so. So this is kind of the 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 mandatory uh, issue of mandatory disclosures. Um, there's now specifically with regard to transition risk, globally a very intensive discussions about transition plans. Uh, so for example, in in the UK and Europe, we are very advanced now um, uh, in in uh, requiring large corporations to do transition plans. And uh, also uh, supervisors are now uh, realizing that these transition plans actually are really important also for, for prudential purposes, yeah? because they contain infa- information uh, that financial institutions and the supervisors themselves can use for micro and macro prudential risk analysis. 
Um, so, so having having some some firm guidance um, uh, is important, and I, I would just like to emphasize also that there is a huge potential um, for using digital approaches to try to automate data generation as possible uh, as much as possible. Yeah, so we need huge amounts of data, but that's I mean kind of even beyond climate, and and uh, I mean the financial sector is. Is changing. We are moving more and more digital anyway, um, and uh, so when when you think of um, uh, relevant data points for for analyzing transition risk, you know, so for example, energy consumption, emissions, and all that, um, you know, that we, we we can use data, for example, from um, energy companies. You know? The problem is, of course, that right now um, this information is not publicly available but um uh so so we can have uh, government supervisors uh work together with energy providers kind of to create data pools make these data pools available uh to financial institutions who can then uh in a in a in a automated way um uh, analyze real-time data on on energy use and and so on um which can really facilitate a lot of the discussion so so um because uh, it's really important that we of course don't make things um too costly so i think sorajit has a connective connectivity problem uh and maybe he's just dropped out uh oliver i would like you to just get in touch with sorajit and to to bring them to bring him back in uh, but if I could just come in at this point in time, uh, <clears throat> uh, when it comes to all the all the things that we have been discussing till now in terms of challenges, uh, what we heard, you know, repeatedly now, I think uh, RBI is also making it clear and it's actually engaging uh, with a lot of banks. So <clears throat> with, with a lot of banks to understand what their data constraints are and where they are at in the journey. Um, I would like to go back to Uli for a while uh, in saying that, yes, we need guidance and there are approaches uh, adopted by central banks all over the world uh, to have macro level uh, systemic stress tests and to actually look at what the banks are able to do right now and go bottom up. Uh, in which uh, sort of a combination do you think emerging economies are looking at this question of, uh, you know, scenario and stress testing and integrating, uh, you know, a lot of things. There, there, there seems to be too much to do, you know. So so where is where is the sort of a balance that you're finding in emerging economies uh, when it comes to uh, looking at uh, data and this kind of stress test models that the banks should be adopting? Yeah, very good point. I mean, I, I think... Um... Obviously, every country needs to find find its own balance. But um, I think uh, what you don't want to see is just having you know some centralized uh, stress testing by by the central bank by the regulator, because you do want to have ownership. You do want uh, banking institutions to really you know do analysis uh, themselves to to understand what 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 it's actually about. You know, and they because. Ultimately, the banks, it's their responsibility to, to, to manage the risk, to mitigate the risk. 
so so you 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 don't want to just uh, delegate it all to to the central bank, but at the same time, uh, it's really important that you do have some some uh, uh, comparability. Yeah, so. Um, uh, we do need uh, a central bank a supervisor to provide firm guidance on what is expected from financial institutions. Um, it's certainly important that the, the, the central bank the supervisor provides um, uh, the scenarios with which uh, the financial institutions then, then work because, um, uh, yeah, you know, kind of you, you need, again, uh, uh, comparability. Um, of the results and, and and the scenarios are a central piece, and um, and here and that's of course also something where, where the RBI is working on now. Um, it's really critical to to develop scenarios that really fit the local context. Yeah, so uh, we have uh, seen the development of all kinds of uh, scenarios at the global level by the NGFS, so this network of central banks and financial supervisors, and they're very useful and helpful, but but. Um, they don't really capture, uh, you know, the, the the specifics of the Indian context, and and so it is important to really uh, have these local uh, scenarios that 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 uh, uh, both the, the the RBI and the banks can work with. And um, again, uh, I mean, I, I I think actually ideally there would be some kind of you know a parallel structure where you have uh, both bottom up and top down, yeah. You know, because um, at the end of the day, um, the central bank also needs to conduct um, stress testing analysis from a macro prudential perspective. Yeah. You know? So taking a systemic perspective, and this you can't delegate to the banks. So so um, you do need um, uh, the central bank to to really conduct this macro uh, stress testing. Um, but of course, they can also feed um, the analysis from uh, conducted by the banks into this, and, and at the same time also kind of check if this analysis has been has been conducted in a sober way. So thanks, Ali. I think that really, uh, you know, while my colleague Sorajit has just simply fallen off the radar, I will just, uh, you know, uh, pitch in for him. Uh, just what you said. Sorry. Let me just uh, put the same question to uh, State Bank of India. Sorry, uh, you know, um, um, I uh, this. Yes, that's uh, all right. If you could just mute yourself. I'm I'm in touch with Sorajit. So if you could yeah, just I'm mute yourself, that's all right. Yes. So, Ms. JC, my question to you is that as India's largest bank, you know, and taking from what Uli just mentioned, SBI has a significant policy advocacy role in the market. So the question that uh, I, we would like to pose to you is that how do you think that Indian banks need to engage with regulators and authorities towards ensuring seamless policy clarity in climate opportunity sectors? So what is your view on this particular uh, topic? Issue. Yeah, Deha, thank you for the question. Uh, see, when you look at climate change and climate risk and how to address it, it without saying it's a global problem. Mm -hmm. And it needs global solutions in a very coordinated way. Every stakeholder has a role to play, whether it's a policymakers, whether it's a regulator whether it's international bodies, financial institutions, everyone has a role to play and it's complementary. 
each stakeholder has to complement the efforts of others and facilitate. So in that way, see climate risk being a relatively new focus in India. I say relatively new because all of us have been working at working on it, taking steps to address that problem, maybe not in so much a focused way. But the focus attention as there is today, it has come recently. So engaging with policymakers, you asked about regulators, I'm adding policymakers also to that. Because enabling policies, facilitative policies is a prerequisite for banks to actually go uh, full throng into the sector and uh, take care of uh, the requirements for funding in the newly evolving areas. So we do engage with the regulators, we do engage with the ministries involved formally, informally. Uh, there are parliamentary committees on energy, uh, Ministry of Environment, Forest, MNRE. Uh, there are so many uh, engagements with these policymakers, regulators, wherein we get to really uh, advise them or the what is the, the information which we receive from the industry, the marketplace. Say, if I can give you an example, say, uh, Government of India, there is, the, there is a scheme called PM Kuso, which is for solar pumps. There are three variants, but two variants which are to individuals. Uh, not much progress has actually happened. So we were looking at why is it even State Bank of India, when we look at our portfolio, the progress we have made in that particular scheme is hardly anything. So when we look at it, we get to know that these are the drawbacks, why people are not really looking at seriously. One is that, okay, there is huge subsidies in the scheme. And after the subsidy, the loan amount is very, very small. So mm -hmm. people are not for a 50,000 or 40,000, people really do not want to go to the bank and take a loan. Second is that the class of people on uh, for, for whom this PM Kusum is more relevant, they get either free electricity or heavily subsidized electricity. So why should I be installing a solar pump? So these are the kind of feedback we get from our portfolio holders, our borrowers, which actually helps the policymakers to teach the terms of a scheme or put in policy enabling policies. Likewise for solar. Say solar, one important issue, what we tell them is that the net neutral. Say the surplus electricity, which we felt, certain uh, states, one issue is that, okay, this comes, Certain states, they are very, very cooperative uh, in facilitating that uh, linking to the grid, etc. Certain states, not so much. Then the net metering issues. So these are the issues which we get to garner from the market information that we are able to pass on to the policymakers. And even in the regulatory space also, we are able to engage with them formally, informally, which helps in better facilitating policies, regulation, Ultimately, it helps everyone in addressing the problem. Uh, thank you, uh, JC. I think that was a very relevant point, and I will give it to Sarojit. I was holding uh, forth uh, in your absence, uh, Sarojit. But I think one of the questions uh, to be sort of probably addressed as we go forward in the discussion is not only the engagement that we require from between financial sector entities, regulated entities, and policymakers and regulators, so that the system of uh, you know regulations is actually adopted well and those challenges are addressed 
right from the uh, day go, you know, but also how the uh, the banks and borrowers actually engage with each other when they are uh, making their transition plan, to both from the decarbonization point of view as well as from the resilience uh, point of view. So I think if you would address this question, say, going forward, that would be very good. But over to you. That's uh, uh, first of all, thanks, Neha, for holding the fort. I had a bit of tech issue. Uh, yeah, that point you said, it's quite, uh, it's it all it's all the more relevant because it's such a heterogeneous ecosystem, right? The, the borrower community. And, you know, it's so difficult from the bank's perspective to put a templatized approach. And maybe we'll we'll take inputs from our uh, bankers, uh, uh, all of them who, who are actually working on this space on how they would be addressing this. Manish, let me go to you now uh, regarding, you know, uh, measuring, scoring, rating uh, loan project for uh, potential climate risks. Um, what do you think would be, you know, some of the challenges that your credit officers may face if they really want to integrate a climate risk score within the broader credit rating score, rather than just keep it as a standalone uh, score, uh, is there a way to address this through capacity building? And do also, when you are saying, do also bring in that borrower aspect that uh, does it really depend on particular type of borrowers where it may work and certain type of borrowers where it may be more difficult to make it work? Uh, over to you. Yeah, uh, quite a heavy question, I would say. Uh, so very clearly, yes, uh, capacity building is, uh, you know, the need of the hour. understanding, you know, even for the risk officers, a clear understanding of physical risk, transition risk, the difference between the two, what are the parameters that need to be assessed? I was recently reading, you know, the India CEO of Coca-Cola said, India is a vast country. It should be treated like a, you know, continent by itself, not a country. So there are this disparities, you know, being such a vast country. So what is relevant for a particular sector in a particular region or a geography that itself, uh, you know, poses a challenge. So therefore, the credit officers, even if we do a capacity building, ultimately, it has to be a, a sectoral approach that needs to be adopted by the bank. It needs to be a borrower approach and there it can be a differential approach, you know, large corporates versus SMEs versus MSMEs, because each of them would have their own challenges, especially the MSMEs and SMEs. So how that can be facilitated? One of the ways, as GC mentioned, is, uh, you know, by handholding some of the borrowers seeking information. Uh, but, uh, you know, selection of the appropriate metrics, uh, that is a challenge for the officers. If that is a challenge, that integration of ESG risks into the mainstream credit uh, mm. evaluation automatically becomes a challenge. So I think the starting point, again, you know, while there are challenges, I'm also trying to bring in some of the solutions because, you know, we can't be discussing only challenges. Mm. So I think one of the things that the large institutions can do, and this is irrespective of the sector, whether it's the real sector, uh, you know, players or whether it is the financial sector, I think more and more when we go out to recruit people, we have to work along with, uh, you know, the large institutes like the IITs, IIMs here. Can they really build courses? The capacity building has to start right from there. You know, you would have, right, there is, you know, there are there is a large private sector bank which is working with IIT. They're setting up centers of excellence. Uh, there is also some initiative being taken, I think, by one of the large corporates like Mahindra Group. They are talking about a sustainable university. That is how I think it should start. 
doing capacity building on the job may really not yield to a long term solution people have to start thinking about it right at their academy at their you know graduation level so that is one number two you know the challenge that we are facing is say everybody is reading that the pcaf framework for financial institutions the global gig accounting and reporting standard which is embedded in the pcaf framework that is the way uh, to assess you know finance emissions now there are those data requirements they are you know around those six categories however for a country like india there are certain areas which are not getting addressed now india as a country we are dependent 15% as gdp we are dependent on agriculture under the pcaf framework there is no approach on how we can measure yeah. lending to the agriculture sector yeah. for example lending for consumption which is basically personal loans mm. now that is the next challenge so unless mm. these things are first addressed i think embedding esg into mainstream credit rating uh cannot be addressed so that will be really a factor of some of these things exactly exactly and then uh, you know coming to the second question with regard to the borrowers mm. and holding uh, you know of the borrowers seeking information now the questions that we need to ask the borrowers also have to be relevant from a sectoral perspective for them yeah i can't be asking a cement uh, industry question to right. a, you know a steel uh, sector company that also you know is a uh, i would say training and capacity yeah. building that we need to do at ground level so that and therefore that engagement with the borrowers is important it actually helps build that understanding at both ends it helps yeah. the companies understand what are the bank uh, requiring and it also helps the bank to understand how a particular company operates in that particular sector or what could be the challenges in that sector for example what is the decarbonization you know pathway for a large steel company in the steel sector mm. now, that is how I, i think that sharing of information will happen and then that will trickle down to smes and msmes so it, ultimately in any case we have to address the value chain as well maybe a larger role for the industry bodies or industry associations or the nodal agencies for sectors um, may also be required that that's also probably going to emerge a very important stakeholder in coming time because they are the sector specialists and they can they have the you know uh, they have the front face with all the industry players of that particular sector and maybe that 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 is that stakeholder gap that probably needs a bit of uh, you know bridging the gap as uh, so you are right sir in fact you know these kind of associations can play, play an important role in becoming sure. a central repository for information i'm taking an example of singapore now in hmm. singapore they have actually created these groups which enable you know storing information gathering information and making it available it is like the credit uh, credit uh, union you know or the credit uh, scores which are available for individuals it is uh, you know through a particular agency hmm kind of a thing will have to be done got it um thanks manish uh, ajit let me move to you um one uh, question at this point especially from uh, you know rating measuring climate risk is concerned i want to raise the question of size the size of the bank so your bank for instance as a mid sized bank your portfolio would be as diverse as state bank or icici but it would still be a smaller size in terms of magnitude 
Do you see that size as a, a natural advantage towards actually facilitating practical implementation of climate risk measurement? Or do you think that size actually eventually does not really make a difference? And uh, the reason I'm asking is that, you know, large scale capacity building programs in climate risk management, if uh, do you think they should start with the mid-sized banks first, try to, you know, uh, align with their practices, take the learnings and then look at the large, you know, giants in the financial space or the other way around, or it doesn't really matter. So wanted to get a bit of view on the size. Does size matter here? The size matters. Actually, mm. it really depends. Uh, so this is, and uh, I'll uh, divide it into three parts. So the first and main uh, most important thing is uh, capacity building, as we have been already discussing. So actually, in the case of capacity building, being a mid-sized bank, actually, mm. there is some level of advantage in implementing the system and processes internally very much faster because the yeah. population is needed only to that level and we have a very good uh, state of level uh, state of uh, art uh, architecture in the in that case we are having online sessions offline sessions and we are doing it thoroughly and we are able to and if you see uh, the last three years have been a learning curve for us each of us were uh, like uh, doing more things in this area and uh, like what uh, we have already implemented the esms policy so even when uh, when we come come to climate or all these policies, the level of comprehension that we are having or our teams are having from a day to day is actually getting changed. The way mm. we understand understand things and the way we are able to uh, give it to others also changing. So we are having continuous sessions with them, and this in turn is helping the team as a whole. The sessions are even planned such as it is starting from the business RMs, like whether it is a. Uh, business relationship managers, then the credit, then the monitoring, because the policy or the cycle as, as such starts from the person who is meeting the customer first. And he, he needs to, first of all, educate the customer. Then only all the things uh, happen uh, seamlessly. So that is one thing. And as Manish pro, uh, pointed out, sectoral uh, things. So we cannot ask the same question to every sector. So there also we are coming up with sectoral studies. Every month we are coming with the, the study on each sector. Until now we have done around 12 uh, sectors, uh, sectoral study on 12 industry sectors, and also framing questions which should be asked when we do any site visits to each of these sectors. So that is in the process. So when uh, so for the first question, like it is advantages being a mid-sized uh, player in the capacity. Yeah. The next one is practical implementation. So we have yeah. all these things, we know all these things, but when we approach the customer, being a mid-sized bank, our leverage in, uh, will be less because our portion of advance will be very less. Yeah. And when other banks are not asking, why should I? So all yeah. these things are coming as a challenge, being a mid-sized bank. Yeah. And we may not be the largest lender in many of the transactions, you know, and the challenge is there. And uh, being a larger uh, lender in the market, uh, they can bring the change more uh, in that manner, whether with SBI or like larger yeah. banks will be able to uh, will be having that advantage in that manner. Uh, because while everyone agrees that climate risk is real, the approaches to many to manage the same is still in the early stages of evolution, as yeah. you all know. And unless something is mandated by the regulator, each bank will be approaching it differently. And the customers need to agree to all the requirements of the lenders. In this case, actually, we already know RBA has several discussions. Uh, they have come up with the discussion paper, and we are awaiting for uh, the uh, guidance and the framework from RBA uh, so that there will be a level playing, level playing field. So that is a thing. And third most thing is the data. And the challenge of data is uh, size agnostic. It is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. 
though we may be having diverse customers actually the data if you see if you want to actually study or have a have implication or so to see what finally implies or converts into risk we need to have a lot of data and i think in the indian context uh, we have to travel a lot more in this area and that is where again we need to get something from the regulator as well as all these all you are helping us all the consultancies will be have uh, must be having a major role there who can help the banks in all these area so that way we can uh, group into three so one of the points that you said where the customer interface that uh, you know uh, there are challenges because customers obviously resist and that is a very natural thing it goes back to what the point neha said that how do we manage that equation and in fact maybe in the subsequent answers if you manish um, uh, ms jc could also weave in that within the heterogeneous customer ecosystem is there a particular type of profile of customer you know certain maybe you know some profile of a particular uh, borrow uh, corporate borrower who is more amenable or open to these things rather than the others because that's really the low hanging fruit to start off with if we can convert that low hanging fruit it makes the job easier to use those as case studies to you know convert further borrowers in the low carbon transition journey so that's just a point to uh, add like yeah. all of you to keep in mind in your uh, subsequent uh, responses as well uh, or if yeah. you want to add something quickly here. no no just just to add uh, from my experience over the last 3 years where the way we are dealing with customers it has changed a lot from where we started into 21 or 20 because none of the customers are also understanding the challenges they are also like mm-hmm. i have done uh, personally many of the site visits wherein like when the rm speaks to a customer basically they are speaking to the cfo but when we are doing the site visit we are going mm-hmm. to the site and we can't see what all things they are doing in the in this area yeah each and every point they are able to discuss with us and the point now which what we are having is like the ens team is often having calls uh, along with the ens officers of those companies and when we uh do the visits also they are able to explain all these things and even they are having uh, arrangements with lot of consulting consult- consultancies because they are also in this journey because of finally they have to sustain so the customers who know that are already doing all these things and it is the thing like uh, if you see the listed companies they are all having the data and they are doing all these things it is coming to the load side only uh we need to again percolate to them and make this that more understanding finally otherwise it will be finally converting into the transition risk in the coming years Sure. Thanks. Um, let me now move to the last round of questions. This is, you know, let's talk a bit more about the climate opportunities piece. So, Ulrich, um, you know, a um, lot of regulations, policies are evolving as we speak in the broader markets. Um, but at the same time, it's creating a tendency in the industry to wait and watch for better policy clarity. Manish did mention a very important point that how do we actually push the, you know, push the regulations but the fact remains a lot of players are still waiting for regulations in many markets so globally you would have seen that in your research so how do you see other markets actually navigating this challenge are they continuing to wait or are they jumping in to capture you know at least the initial market share because the initial market share from a business perspective is the most important so how do you see it this happening playing out in other markets yeah um i think that's an important point of course there is a tendency across the industry to to wait for you know government supervisors and so on to provide uh, guidance but um i mean at the end of the day this is really a, a strategic issue for for each and every corporation right i mean um uh, so we, at a fundamental level we know 
the direction we need to travel, right? We need to, to move towards the low carbon net zero economy. And of course, in an Indian context, that journey uh, will take a bit longer than say in, in European countries, but the direction of travel as such is pretty clear. And also very importantly, if we look at, you know, changes in technologies, for example, you know, um, I mean, irrespective of the fact that coal is the dirtiest of all energy uh, sources, um, you know, there are also now cheaper sources of energy. So, so kind of um, the industry trends, uh, the technological trends and so on are pretty clear. And, and we, we fundamentally know what we need to do, right? We need to move away from fossils to uh, cleaner energy sources. So... Um, of course, it's it's important and helpful to get guidance from governments, uh, from supervisors. Uh, but I think, um, you know, delaying action at the level of the financial institution because, oh, we don't have guidance. Uh, I think this is a, a cheap excuse. Um, of course, you know, when it comes to, to the intricacies of, say, climate stress testing, of course, say you do want to, to get as much guidance and so on but at the same time uh, you know we all know we all understand now that climate risk transition risk i mean of course also physical you know is is a material risk so so we do need to understand that so all the things we've discussed uh, today about you know building capacities in how um, in-house capacities for 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 better risk analysis and all that i mean this is something that that needs to happen that each and every financial institution can take forward irrespective of the speed or not of, of its supervisor. And so in that sense, um, uh, yeah, you know, I think um, we, we also need to, to see the responsibility of each and every uh, uh, financial institution and talking about opportunities. Yeah, I mean, uh, indeed, you know, this is, this is the, the role of strategic management to identify these opportunities and uh, I think uh, by now, you know, there, there should be a pretty good understanding that there are a lot of opportunities in uh, the green economy. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, corporations, financial institutions need to decide to what extent they still want to, to continue financing kind of the old, dirty industries. Um, but when it comes to, to better risk management... Uh, you know, kind of ultimately, they uh, f banks need to face, fa uh, kind of, you know, reduce their exposure to 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 dirty, uh, uh, high carbon industries, and and really support uh, the transition to to low carbon. And and so in that sense, I think, um, uh, you know, uh, in any any um, uh, cause for more guidance, and and we can't do anything now because we don't know. As I said, I think that, that's a cheap excuse. And, and I think uh, we need more leadership from financial institutions. Um, there's certainly at the global level, you know, kind of with, with the world's largest financial institutions, uh, they all talk a lot about net zero and, and, and so on, but we, we don't uh, see that in their actions. We still have trillions of dollars flowing into all kinds of high carbon sectors. Uh, new fossil fuel exploration and so on, which is very much not in line uh, with any net zero uh, pathway. And uh, so I think that, you know, we need to call on uh, our financial sector leaders to really um, uh, be part of the solution. Uh, 
um, and, and develop these new business areas, support industries to adjust, which will make all of us better off in the end, um, rather than cling on to some uh, old businesses, which which um, uh, may indeed uh, pose a significant risk also to, to the uh, balance sheet of the institution, but also uh, you know the, the financial system and the economy at large. Thank you, uh, thank you, Ulrich. Um, Ms. JC, moving to you, you know, uh, climate uh, opportunity, climate risk are really the two sides of the same coin. Um, a lot of banks globally are also trying to look at, you know, targeting a few carbon intensive sectors or geographies within their portfolio map um, as far as, you know, opportunity targeting or uh, risk um, uh, measurement is concerned. Um, would you recommend a similar approach towards all this, even in India, basis, you know, uh, you know, uh, what what you uh, basis your experience? Uh, do you think that may be uh, the ideal way? And if so, then what is the sort of capacity addition that you really would want to see within the Indian banks to that extent? Uh, over to you. Actually, we did an exercise. Manish was also referring to that. Uh, why not we look at it? Why why should we be really waiting for a regulatory push? Why don't we do it on our own? Actually, we did a pilot study. Uh, we engaged a tech uh, climate tech starter to measure the financed emissions of our domestic portfolio. And the results, uh, no surprises there. The results was that nearly 27% of our exposure, which is to industry, State Bank has a asset book of roughly 30 trillion uh, rupees, out of which roughly 8 trillion is to this, say, 9 or 10, those red, so-called red in the red sectors. So the exposure, our exposure to these 9 or 10 sectors, highly polluting sectors, it is 27%. And the contribution of this particular portfolio to our emission, portfolio emission is more than 80%. So no surprises there. More yeah. important, three sectors, that is hydrocarbon, power, and iron and steel. Our exposure out of this 8 trillion to these 10 sectors, our exposure to these three sectors, it's 6 trillion. That is more than 20% of our portfolio. And so these three sectors, if we focus on, it will be like we'll be taking care of more than 60% of our financed emission. So it makes sense when you look at it theoretically, yes, it makes sense to adopt a targeted approach. Yeah. Look at those sectors which are most polluting. Focus your energies, efforts there so that the results are maximum. But again, say I said hydrocarbon, power and iron and steel. So as a State Bank of India, whether we can take a call that see from tomorrow onwards, I'm not supporting power sector. We just cannot take the decision because we will we will align ourselves with the national priorities. We being an energy deficient country, wherein the government is going ahead, the power minister made a very categorical statement that yes, we are going ahead with coal power, thermal power plants. So if the government is going ahead with that, as a State Bank of India, maybe I wouldn't have the flexibility to say or yes. take a decision that no, I'm not supporting them. Otherwise, theoretically, if you look at it, 20% of my portfolio 
contributes to 60% of my emissions it looks good so that is why initially i said our ndc india's ndc goals net zero 2070 they are actually eagerly awaiting the pathways the government will chart out to reach that net zero by 2070 so that we can align our climate strategies business strategies with the government policies and we can actually balance climate uh, climate concerns as well as economic concerns hmm. so this is one exercise we did and again uh, coming back to the, the same question we also actually we also uh, are in the process so we came up with an rfp for measuring our this this what whatever study i said that was a pilot study we did but we wanted to do a more comprehensive exercise so we came up with an rfp maybe two months back but the kind of questions we receive queries we receive from the players in the field including the very established say big fours etc from the field it made us realize that what we are looking at the complexities are much more than we actually realize so they wanted one major ask from them was that technical collaboration be allowed it made me like earlier point that the capacity building or availability of expertise talent pools within within many organization they act to build up so that's why many of the very established consulting firms requested that please allow technical collaboration so we are coming out with that rfp again wherein in all probability we will be allowing technical collaboration one will be for measuring financial emission based on which we will identify sectors wherein we can focus for the migration or transition to low carbon processes or technologies the second will be again the other side of the coin measuring physical risk transition risk once that is done we will be integrating those uh, uh, integrating climate risk as a part of our risk assessment model that is the, those are the two things we are working on and again if you ask how much capacity how many people how big a team as of now uh, honestly i do not have an answer but mm. uh, only one statement i would like to make we had an interaction with the european bank which has actually gone far ahead in this space and their team size it's more than 200 people with a sub team which looks at biodiversity so that way my only sense is that the requirement team size capacity it it is going to be huge but if you ask me for a number on ballpark i don't have it right now no thank you uh, no those are very practical points because every market has its own particular nuances and compulsions and in fact uh, let me just make a rephrase that the decoupling between economic growth and emissions growth is really about managing the coupling between economic development and emissions at the end of the day so that's really the journey if i put it in a another perspective manish uh, let me take that cue from what uh, ms jc said about national development priorities you know business decisions at the end of the day will be guided by the country's national development priorities of the day uh, how do you think banks can really combine this within their risk return risk adjusted return objectives because that's really what it boils down to the numbers game at the end of the day for a bank and towards this what do you think can be the nature of support they may require from in, uh, international institutions or even domestic institutions for that matter Uh, your views on this um, over to you yeah see um i 
think we should look at it from two perspective when we talk about uh, you know the banking sector supporting economic growth aligning ourselves to ndcs uh, we should always bear in mind that now of course i'm talking about a journey which the banking sector in india has undertaken over the last uh, decade is about taking a risk calibrated approach to business return of capital rather than return on capital has become paramount keeping these two things in mind what uh, the first thing probably where you know the uh, banks can review their business strategies is protecting the current assets infrastructure assets which we have financed you know there that is a big big opportunity in itself mm. over the last 10 years the kind of infra development that we have gone through now those assets which are available as collateral to the banks they, they themselves are you know right now vulnerable to natural disasters or change you know changes uh, or other risks emanating from changes in climate isn't that a business opportunity uh, opportunity in itself we have to protect those assets whatever needs to be done in terms of you know additional financing in terms of improving or you know relocating in terms of strengthening etc that itself will need financing so that is one perspective of how we can align business strategy with a risk return objective it's a risk that is already hitting us number 2 is the transition financing so even if we are looking at dirty sectors ultimately we have to transition them out mm. we have to ensure that it's a just transition what is popularly called in this particular space so there will be financing which will go even to the dirty uh, sectors but the weight has to be done is how can we really ensure that it is going really for uh, for going on the right path and moving away from continuing the dirty business so these are the two areas which i feel can align in mm. always business strategy aligns to risk objectives risk return objectives and it aligns to the ndcs that is how i would like to uh, look at it number 2 the question. ask yeah 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 your second part of the question the ask for yeah. you know i would say for commercial banks the big challenge that currently you know we are facing is asset liability mismatch we know yeah. that you know there are some of these uh, areas which are still under r and d phase a lot of pilots are happening they have not yet fructified as commercial operations now that is the risk which now commercial banks are very hesitant to take that is where you know probably more equity is required we talked i uh, we didn't talk about it but there is literature available saying that for india to you know achieve net zero by 2070 10.1 trillion us dollars worth of financing is required now if you look at it from a lender's perspective there is always an equity portion in any kind of a lending so even if i take a 25% equity portion in that where is that going to come from that yeah. has to come from private finance that is where you know probably funds need to step in the international funding community has to step in if they really feel that india is a growth market so that is one area again where you know some kind of support is required the second kind of support is required is through multilateral agencies through multi through uh, you know mdbs through development financial institutions they have to step in and you know fund 
some part of that entire you know financing part they can take the mess piece uh, piece obviously they will get a return on that uh, you know higher risk that they might be taking but they have to step in they will have to come as a first loss default uh, guarantee mechanism and that is where you know the government policy will play a key role how is the government supporting that so that is you know the yeah. other area where probably support can come in from uh, international and domestic institutions okay in fact it also boils down to the fact that you know you mentioned about disclosures earlier because uh, disclosure by itself is means nothing it's how do you use the disclosure in the business strategy and that's how then the entire connection would happen um ajit let me ask you the last question of this session uh, the same the same question really that i asked manish but from a mid sized bank perspective uh, what is the nature of support you think mid sized banks particularly may uh, you know uh, be you know uh, require from institutional uh, you know uh, institutions uh, globally whether it is you know the, the mdbs or even other uh... am i audible yes you are hello yes yeah so actually coming to this i'll uh, take it in uh, two aspects so uh, we have committed to have a green finance portfolio of 130 billion by 2025 so there what we done is like we have like adopted the ifc's uh, process wherein we are categorizing the green loans so there is the challenge because at that point of time there was no uh, like even now there's no formal taxonomy in india where so we have to chosen that definition that is used by ifc uh, to classify the climate loans now this could differ from the taxonomies and domestically and uh, and and uh, like internationally hence there could be a result this could result in a transaction being classified as green by one and not green by others so there's a confusion there so that the international bodies and institutions actually should work with government and regulatory bodies in finalizing a taxonomy for india which can be used by all the parties such as banks industries as a whole so this is one aspect and where we need the help the other aspect is like how do we underwrite these newer technologies most of the climate related uh, finance that is uh, coming is long term and literally emerging technologies which banks may find hard to assess the inherent risk or to comprehend and implement uh, the climate risk there suppose uh, take the example of uh, solar the major green finance that uh, banks are doing is in solar when we take come to solar actually uh, when we consider the environment and social or the climate risk actually solar uh, comes under the high risk even it has the biodiversity issues you know you may be knowing all the things that is happening in rajasthan regarding the great indian bustard which is getting extinct as a bird which is uh, around 100 only number so all these are triggering the thing so and even there's a supreme court order which says like uh, all the power transmission lines should be made underground to save that but if that get needs to be implemented then everything would be unviable and now it is again in the court so these are the things which needs to be understood and even other new technologies which might replace all these things if banks are not able to comprehend all these things and adopt the climate risk appropriately uh, again all these will be having trouble in the risk area and as manish pointed out the next point is regarding the because all these are project loans which 
has a period of might be 10 15 or 20 years and we need to see uh, this is again posing risk on uh, concentration as well as ALN asset liability management related challenges in the banks. So actually as banks, we need to work together to find com some common solutions that meet individual objectives and national developmental pri uh, priorities. And here actually the sharing of knowledge and learning between the banks can improve the process of the system as a whole and institutions like IBA, IABF and like all of you can help us in uh, where we can create some common platforms for sharing this learning so that while all these practical impl implications will be uh, addressed through these manners. So that is where uh, banks need the help. Basically comprehending and learning like the aspects that needs to be addressed while uh, impl uh, impl implementing this climate related risk. Thank you, Ajit. Uh, let me quickly uh, hand it to Neha to check with the audience questions. You're on mute. Yes, I will quickly go to the questions. We have received about 13, 14 very interesting questions. We will not have the time to tackle all. So I will try to at least ask two or three. The first one is very interesting. And uh, any one of your, each one of you could do a rapid fire uh, answer uh, a minute each. How banks are nudging its customers, uh, how banks are nudging their customers to also share a transition plan to low carbon pathways. And how are they supporting their customers, especially in the hard to abate sectors, to develop a transition uh, plan and share with the banks? So is there anything that is already uh, a part of your thought process right now? Because one thing I can share with you, that we also engage with uh, corporate clients who are your borrowers. And when they say that they are producing uh, reports and they are putting certain plans in order, but from their banking partners, there isn't yet a clear guidance on what they want. Anyone? Uh, I can uh, take this question, Himeha. I can take that question. So, uh, in State Bank of India, what we have done is that we have developed an ESG framework wherein we rate our large value customers. Mm -hmm. Listed companies above 100 crore and others above 500 crore, of course, large value customers. We have developed a framework wherein we assign based on various parameters, we assign an ESG rating to each of these companies. Mm -hmm. So that is the first we took, first step we took. So the next step will be ideally, whether there could be a threshold below which we may take a decision that, okay, we may not, we sh should not be onboarding this particular project or customer. Another way to look at it, again, I'm just thinking aloud, it's not that it's a policy within the bank. Maybe like a logical step could be that whether the pricing charge could be linked to the ESC rating of a customer. Mm -hmm. So once, once there start there, we implement any of this, where there is a commercial implication to the customer based on his ESG rating, that is our ESG framework. I'm not talking about ESG rating by external entities which do that. That is the time when we can start engaging with the corporate clients that, okay, this is a way, like your pricing, it is such and such now. If you take care of this, this, if you have a transition path, that itself gives you a score. That, that itself helps you improving your score, which actually will help you reducing your pricing. 
so that way we can we can start engaging with the clients nudging them to put in place a transition policy for them for reducing carbon for migrating to better processes technologies and that transition capex as manish and uh, uh, a few other panelists mentioned it that transition to bring down emissions that we can fund that is the opportunity in climate that is there for the bank so we are working on it but we just started working on it we will be taking it forward we will be engaging with our corporate clients in this specific this sectors which are which actually contribute heavily to carbon emission and we are hopeful that yes we taking such an initiative should actually result in many positive developments for the corporates to really look at their emission their processes and improve their operations thank, thank you. you thank you and i think uh, given that uh, your state bank of india uh, things that you do will actually be market making and uh, quite important uh, so the other one is a related question um, which is uh that what role can indian banks and fis play to support and mainstream just transition planning uh what kind of regulatory interventions from a financial sector point of view would be required to address transition risks in specific sectors which are undergoing rapid trans transformation for example coal to re uh, uh you know uh, from ice uh, engines to evs so this is this is a question that maybe anybody else could answer uh, manish or ajit should i take it up ajit yes please okay okay manish yeah okay yes sure so i think uh, we had uh, spoken about it uh, you know especially the banks of systemic importance sbi icici hdfc we yes. are working with various ministries and uh, you know in enabling that so ensuring that policies are put in place see the government has already a panchamrit target they have enabled a lot of things through various initiatives uh, you know within the union bank uh, union budget they have allocated a uh, certain allocation for the green initiatives we expect that to only grow year on year they have raised sovereign green bonds so there is a clear intention of the government now that has to be supported through policy initiatives and that is where we step in uh, enable that policy framework so for example we are engaging with the ministry of natural resources and renewable energy to put uh, adequate uh, frameworks for enabling that just transition mm -hmm. at the moment i think i can say this thanks a lot and i think there are many other questions one question was also something that um ajit you had spoken about for the need for taxonomies and what is what is the banking sector doing to advance uh this within the uh, within the banking sector and for banking sector and i think that is a very uh, it's a question which is uh, you know which keeps on coming up again and again and uh, we address this and hopefully there will be some answers provided to us by the policy makers um uh, in this direction so uh we are running up on time we have we have only this much of time to take the uh questions from discussants but please be rest assured we will be looking at these questions we'll also be sharing this with the panelists um now uh, sarojit if you're uh, good with uh, you know our 
conclusion of the panel discussion, uh, could I invite uh, uh, Ms. Sally Taylor, who is the Minister Counselor uh, at the British High Commission in India and looking at climate uh, policies. Thank you very much, Neha, and um, thanks very much for the chance to just say a few words at the end of this workshop. I'm sorry I missed the beginning of it, but it's been really interesting to listen to the discussion of the panel and the different issues that have come up. I do want to say thanks very much to Climate Bonds Initiative, to Octus ESG and ODI for arranging this. And it's something that we're supporting under our partnership with India to accelerate climate transitions. So we all know that climate sort of you know, poses a systemic challenge and it will change you know, all of our lives. And there's a, there's a need for that sort of whole scale changes to respond. We have all the leaders meeting in Davos at the moment and you know, the World Economic Forum identifies climate risks, nature risks as among sort of the top risks we're all facing. And we all feel that, you know, I've heard some of the speakers highlight these different risks that we're all grappling with. And I think it's something that, you know, we feel, you know, in the UK and I think India, you know, we, we very much both recognise this and are looking to sort of be ambitious to provide some leadership in sort of different and you know, joint complementary ways across a whole range of activities. And uh, you know, we were talking about um, climate last week at a forum with the Indian G20 Sherpa, Mr. Amitabh Kant, who was talking about India's ambition to, and challenge really, to both develop um, and achieve the SDG, Sustainable Development Goals, without the same reliance that there's, that um, other sort of developed countries have had on fossil fuels and how that will be a sort of first and how important that is for India. But of course, it's also important for the world and as a model for, for other countries that will come. So we're, it's a really important part of the work that we do here. I'm very pleased to work with India across a whole range of different things, be that research and technology, be that sort of policy spending choices we're grappling with, be that investment, including into the private sector, and also international activities. And, you know, finance is a really big part of all of that. And it's, we have a partnership across a range of things. Our finance ministers meet, and this is all part of the economic and financial dialogue they have. We have had the G20 where India's very much prioritised it, including with the MDBs and the multilateral development banks. And that's something I think we very much share as a common agenda and something which you know, the UK has always been very interested in. I think India's provided some great leadership around that. And of course, there's partnerships between institutions. I know the City of London are working with Vicky on sustainable finance and you know, more recently, we've had at COP the UAE leaders' declaration on the global financial framework, which sort of sets out all the different multiple sources of finance that's going to be required, the scale of the challenge. So clearly, the, you know, the financial sector is very central to all that. It's an area where the UK has very strong interests and strengths. You know, the City of London. I think has issued more green bonds than anywhere else. And how it all moves forward, I think, is important for us. And it's also important for India. And there is you know, some, you know, lots of things that have happened already, 
But I think we recognise that there's still quite a lot to do if we're going to really transform the way in which um, finance, the financial sector operates. And so, you know, it is really, I think, you know, we still see the, the need to just really work out how that happens in practice. What's, we kind of know what we're aiming at, but it's the sort of the detail, it's how to think about what does it mean in business operations and decisions, what does it mean for policy, what does it mean for the regulatory framework, the risks, and also the capacity and skills. And of course, this workshop is part of a sort of second phase of work we've been doing around capacity building. So it's been really great to have the, the experts from the sector to sort of share perspectives, to talk about the sort of the detail of the challenges we're all grappling with, to sort of give the examples, the ideas of how we move forward. And so, you know, I really want to thank everybody for that. I think it's been very, it's always sort of refreshing to hear that sort of experience, that sort of the detail of the practicalities, but also the ideas, you know, what is it that's needed? And I do think there is a lot of value in government, um, you know, the industry, business, sort of being able to talk together and to be able to sort of understand and to figure out how it is we're going to make this transformation. So I would say, you know, for our part, it will very much inform our, our thinking and next steps. And I hope that's also true for others. So thanks very much. Uh, thank you, uh, Sally, a lot. I think that was uh, very good again, you know, in the spirit that uh, Ms. Joshi actually outline, outlined in the beginning. Before I close uh, with a vote of thanks, uh, maybe I would take the liberty to actually go back to Geetu and uh, ask her or actually just share with her that you saw today that there is a lot of uh, initiatives that are starting to happen. There are, they need to be embedded further in the DNA of companies as well as financial institutions. But also the regulators and policy makers are within the ambit of both learning and provi providing the best that they can to the ecosystem. So from this discussion, are there any closing thoughts that you would have, Geetu? Thank you, Neha, and it was uh, wonderful joining the webinar today. Um, I did hear all the experts on the topic, and it was, uh, you know, a very insightful discussion. And it's, it's, as you said, it's good to know that, you know, there's so much happening, but yes, there's still so much work which needs to be done. And of course, uh, you know, as the um, experts did mention that, uh, capacities, you know, building capacities is one of the key objectives and something which we really need to focus on in the coming time so that uh, we can actually scale up sustainable finance and achieve the objectives which, uh, you know, we um, envision whether it's G20 or COP uh, in terms of increased finances and aligning financial flows to climate goals. So, um, you know, that was uh, useful and it's also good to see that so much is also, you know, happening in the banks and there's awareness, there's a need for building more awareness, as Manish ji said that, you know, we could have more um, uh, institutions, organizing, organizations 
you know, partnering with them and having more courses uh, on this subject so that there is more expertise in the field. And uh, um, of course, data um, is required and, uh, you know, um, automation was spoken about that it's not just data, but there has to be automation there as well. And uh, yes, it was, uh, it was a pleasure being here with all of you and listening to you all and uh, we'll continue interactions. Thank you so much. Thank you, Geetu. And before I say, or everybody says bye to each other, it is uh, something that I have to also uh, say as part of my vote of thanks, just to remind everyone, and as everybody has spoken, that we need more collaboration, we need more cooperation, we need more institutions to come together and build that narrative and consensus that is required to amp up both the action as well as, you know, the required uh, policy measures that are uh, important for the financial sector. And India Initiative on Climate Risk and Sustainable Finance, the overarching purpose uh, 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 is actually to support regulators and policymakers, but not only stop at that, to build capacities of the real economy uh, entities, of corporates, of borrowers, as well as the financial institutions, and to support them with all the tools and expertise that we can bring in from the domestic sources, as well as from international uh, expertise, to bring that, adapt to the Indian needs and uh, uh, opportunities that are over here, and ultimately to shift uh, you know, investments towards both low carbon and less risky investments. And towards that, how to manage risk and how to augment financing that is so uh, required and is actually not in the required amount or at the required speed uh, for the transition to take place in an orderly manner. So with that, a big thank you for the organizer uh, organizing team. Thank you to ODI for providing all the support uh, on the IT and the AV front. Uh, thank you, Octus, for being, uh, you know, the moderator of this discussion, but also as a consortium, really working together on the policy side, regulatory side, and actually going really to the, uh, you know, what we call bottom up going to the banks, going to the uh, uh, corporates to actually bring all of those learnings back into the fold. Uh, and this interaction and this exchange will continue uh, both with the regulators and policymakers as well as many partners going forward. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you to all the speakers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.